great things going on here. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, and today we're talking about something very pertinent. I'm, I'm also seeing um, the service is, is, is packed, which pastors always love, but sometimes people are like, man, I need a little more elbow room. Uh, there's twice as many chairs in the 10 o'clock service in the tent, so just know that if you're like, well, I'm a little tight this week. Um, but we love you being here. Um, we're talking about relational wealth in your workplace, relational wealth in your workplace. We've been on a series entitled Relational Wealth and how the kingdom of God, God wants to bless us with deep, healthy, whole relationships. Um, how many people in this room have a job? You have a job right now. Raise your hand. Okay, that's the, the vast majority of people. Uh, let me tell you about my, my first full-time job. This is, it wasn't my, one of my first uh, kid jobs, but this is my first adult job where I went to work. It had to be there before 8, worked till after 5. I worked on a used car lot. I was a used car salesman. And um, some of you started laughing right when I said that. That's it's not a joke. Uh, so my, my uh, uncle owned a car dealership, and he put me at one of his satellite lots, and he didn't tell anyone that he was my uncle. So I came in as the low man on the totem pole. I don't know if you've ever started a job and you were like the bottom of the whole pecking order. So that was the case, but I was excited nonetheless. I got dressed up in my slacks and my, my, my iron shirt, and I was a businessman, and I was ready to make the big bucks. And I get there, and it was pretty slow. Like, I don't know if you've ever worked a job where you're like, it is slow. The hours are moving slowly. Until the phone rang. And the phone ringing, this is the days before the internet. You found your car on the internet. So you had to do one of two things to find a car. You either drove up and walked around a car lot, or you called and asked them if they had what you wanted. And so nothing's happening in the car lot. We've waited for about an hour, then the phone rings. So I'm like, yes, the phone is ringing. I go to reach it, but it went like, like barely two ding, you know, and I, I hear the old man that's sitting in the cubicle next to me, Henry Chevrolet, how may I help you? And I'm like, oh, and I listen as he sets up an appointment for someone to come in. Half an hour later, phone rings again. I'm like, oh, my turn. Old man next to me, Henry Chevrolet, how may I help you? This happens all day. I was finally sitting with my hands on the desk, like ready to go. This was, this was Billy the Kid of car sales sitting in the cubicle next to me. He's like, the fastest draw. There was, so you finally get tired of sitting, staring at a phone. And, and, and so I went outside, and, and for, for two weeks, I, there was, a, there was a, a nicer, there was a, a younger guy, and it felt like he wanted to help me a little more. His name was Nat Wynn, and Nat was cool. And uh, he had slick back hair, Nat had these Ray-Bans on, and he took me under his wing until people would walk on the lot. <laughs> and I could be like staring at the lot. Nat could have his back, and he had like eyes in the back of his slick back hair. It was the second someone came on the lot, he was there. And so I, I was thinking, man, I can't, I can't sell if I get beat out by my coworkers left and right. Okay, so, you know, I'm thinking, man, I, I wasn't expecting this. Like, where's the take your turn, share, play with others in the sandbox? And um, so finally, everyone's gone, uh, and we staggered our lunch break, so I'm, I'm, I'm there on the lot by myself, and someone drives up. So I'm like, oh, it's my moment, right, to be their superhero car salesman. And I, I walk up, and the, the guy gets out of the car, and he steps back when I walk up to him. I'm looking at myself like, well, you know, 
what's wrong? This, these are the days before COVID where you ran from your friends. And, and, um, and so I'm like, what is the deal? And what I didn't realize is what a stereotype used car salesmen have. And so I, I'm, I'm going trying to be nice. I'm like, this is the same Robert that's always been nice to everyone. But this guy looked at me like so skeptical. I'm like, dude, I'm a salesman, not a Nazi. Like, what? why are you looking at me that way? Like, I'm evil. And, and what I found through the weeks of working there was it was really hard because I just got my life changed for Jesus. And I was thinking, man, it is really hard to live out my Christian values in the workplace. Like, they don't seem like they work here. Anyone ever had that feeling before? Like, hey, it's great on Sunday to talk about the Bible, but then once I go into my job, it's like no holds barred. And, and this, like, love your neighbor doesn't really seem to work. And this, this, like, this isn't how I'm being treated. And so that's why I love when you really jump into the Bible that it doesn't give perfect scenarios. It's not a fairy tale story. We see real life. And so that's where we get to in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, is we're actually going to get to see faith lived out in the marketplace. Faith lived out in the marketplace. And so I want to unpack some of these timeless truths because the Word of God still works today. It says this in verse 1, Boaz went straight to the public square and took his place before long, the closer relative, the one mentioned earlier by Boaz, strolled by. Step aside, old friend, said Boaz. Take a seat. And the man sat down. Here's what I noticed first. that It says Boaz went straight to the public square. Why does God have us work? Like, have you ever sat and thought, like, why do I have to go to work? God, why did you set up the world with work? Let me tell you, first of all, that work is what takes your faith public. It says Bo- Boaz went straight to the public square. Faith is where we live our faith. I mean, work is where we live our faith out loud. Work, work uh, let, let me tell you this, work is not a curse. I hear people, um, I hear people, especially in San Diego, be like, I only had to work two hours today, and then I just spent the rest of the day at the beach, and smash ball, and volleyball, and surfing. And Can I tell you that work is actually from God? Work is actually a blessing. It's not a part of the curse. So let me tell you three things that work is. Number one, work is a witness. Work is a witness. It says Boaz went straight to the public square to take his place. Work is where we witness. Work is what takes us into the different spheres of society. The world is, is disseminated into spheres of society, and so that's why God gives different callings. Have you noticed that we don't all have the same calling? Like some of you are great at math, and some of us, it's our worst nightmare. Right. I, still, I still have nightmares about math. So when people get a job using math, I'm like, wow, you, you are a superhero. Um, we, we, we have different proclivities. We have different giftings. And that's how God spreads us out. So let me say, first, work is witness. When you do work, you are being a witness for the kingdom of God. You're being sent as a missionary into the kingdom of God. I, I was so proud of Nick Gannon. Nick's about to be our church plant leader to Paris, France. And I love that Nick made a decision years ago, I'm not going to wait until I get to Paris to be a missionary. I'm going to be a missionary now. So he's been career military. And so Nick's been on North Island. And for the past five years since God just really got a hold of his heart, he said, I'm going to be a missionary now. And so what did he do as a helicopter mechanic is he went around his department and just started asking different people, would you like to study the Bible with me? 
Now, numerous ones turned him down, but guess what? Numerous ones took him up on it. And so during their break time, they've had a Bible study going on on North Island in their break room. Guess what? I can't do that there. But Nick has been the pastor on North Island with helicopter mechanics. He has been a missionary. Work is witness. Number two, work is worthwhile. Work is worthwhile. It's not a part of the curse. Look at this in Genesis 2.2. By the seventh day, God had finished the, God had finished the, so who works? God works. It says he had been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, to, so this is before the fall of man. So many of us think, man, if, if, if man wouldn't have fallen, I'd just be laying on my back on a chase lounge, right, with a, a cluster of grapes hanging from a tree in the Garden of Eden. And God said, no, before, I, I'm actually giving you kingdom work. I'm putting you in the garden to work, not just to lounge. So work, work is worthwhile, it's a worthwhile endeavor. In fact, I want to tell you, when you get into the work that God created you to, you're going to feel his pleasure when you work. Now, probably not every second of every day, right? Probably not every moment, but there are some sweet spots when you're doing what you're created to do where you're going to actually feel his, his presence. I love what Brother Lawrence, the, the, the simple monk who just walked, washed dishes, he, were, he wrote one of the most best-selling books in all Christendom. He was just a simple monk that washed dishes, but he called it practicing the presence of God because he understood God is with me when I do my work because work is worthwhile. And then lastly, work is worship. Work is worship. You see, so many of us just feel like, well, we're slaving away to make a buck, and as long as that's your perspective, you're going to get burned out, you're going to get tired, you're not going to like it. But if you change your perspective to this, look at what Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So many of us are disgruntled and frustrated, we're like, another day working for the man. And I want to say, yeah, working for the man. Change it from working for the man to working for the man. Right? And when you change and you realize, oh, I'm an, I am a janitor for the man. I am a coach for the man. I am a nurse for the man. I am a teacher's aide for the man. I am a, you fill in the blank then you start realizing, oh, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it as unto the Lord. Listen to how this, this finishes. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Do you know that you're going to receive an inheritance, realtors, when you do righteous real estate instead of trying to cheat? Do you know that you are going to receive an inheritance from the Lord when you're working at your gas station and you put in godly principles and you treat people with dignity and you practice God's presence, do you know there's a reward? It's not just a paycheck. It's not just a promotion. It's not just, oh, I made it through another day and clocked out. God says there's going to be an inheritance. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Work is worship. I challenge you tomorrow when you're frustrated in your jobs, think, okay, I'm work, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing in worship in here. I, I, I've been so impacted. I'm, I'm looking at you guys, Joneses, on the, on the third row. 
on how I've been seeing this in the last two years, so many people using their work to take their place in society. Boaz goes and takes his place at the gates of the city, and, and, and that's what God is calling you into. And so I was so infected, Marcus and, and Jen ha, have, have a, a business, and they have a conference, and, and you know, they're training people how to, how to do their, their, uh, their work in, 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 the, in the health industry. And then they, at the end of it, they do a, an optional meeting. They say, hey, if you want to know what makes us tick, if you want to know why we do what we do, come back. And they say, they, you know, they wondered the first time they did it if anyone would come. They say, because we're going to share about our faith. They said the room was packed. And, and they boldly shared, and I think y'all said like more than 10 people have came to the Lord. Or, I don't, I, but but um, that, that is using your work to, to stand in your place. I was, I was so impacted um, my son was in the last service, Hudson, and he, he came home talking about his English teacher in his big public school. And he's like, Dad, my English teacher was talking about the Lord today. But you can't do that in a public school. Yes, you can. It's called freedom of speech. Actually, it's called the world that's owned by the Lord. So anyway, um, you can always talk about God, right? Uh, choose this day who you'll serve is what the Bible says. Um, so the English teacher, and you think, well, he's going to drive everyone away. No, actually, his room is the room that everyone hangs out in. You're like, well, sure, the Christians. Uh, no, no, a bunch of students. So then they start a Christian club in the English teacher's room, and he's so loving that everyone hang out there. And so I said, Hudson, how was your club? He was like, oh, it was packed today. And he goes, there were like a dozen Muslim girls with their hijabs on. And you're like, why? He goes, oh, because the English teacher makes them feel so loved that they just stay for our Christian club. So you, you take your place, and, and taking your place is showing the love of Jesus and the, and the patience and the, and the kindness. And so you start implementing these, these values, and it transforms people's lives. Come over here my friend, and sit down is what Boaz says to this other man that's walking by that he needs to have a business deal with. Uh, let me tell you a key to kingdom business, a key to advancing the kingdom in your workplace, one word, friendship. Friendship. This is the way of Jesus. Jesus came to change the world, and how did he do it? By making friends. He called his disciples Friends, some people say the greatest miracle that Jesus did wasn't, you know, healing this blind man or raising this lame man. It was being 30 and having 12 guy friends, right? Because the older we get, men, the less, the less we make time for friendship and the less we have healthy relationships. But Jesus came and modeled it's possible. So if you today say, hey, I don't have friends, let me tell you, Jesus wants to change that. In the kingdom, there are friendships. I want to encourage you, ask for friendships, pray for it. But let me just do a little friendship training. I've asked the last two services. How many of you had your parents sit you down and actually talk to you about practically how to be a good friend? Would you raise your hand? Okay. So, wow, this is the most friendly service we've had. Um, so, uh, yeah, but not even a tenth of the room. So, parents, if you're listening, and, and everyone, singles, once your parents do this, teach your children how to be a good friend. And, and so I, I looked at the most known book on friendship, okay, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And, and I'm not endorsing the whole book, but what I am saying is 
he had something really right with these six ways to make friends. Let me show you them. Let me show you. Uh, number one, this is revolutionary, become genuinely, genuinely interested in other people. Wow, that's profound. Like, when you go to a place, actually care about someone else, not just you. This is revolutionary. This is Philippians 2. Right, Jesus? It says, don't, don't have the same attitude as Jesus, who didn't like to it his own interest, but also to the needs of others. So tomorrow, you land in work, or tomorrow, you're online interacting, you could do something like this. This is crazy. How are you doing? People are going to be like, whoa, what happened to you, right? Um, here's the second one. Smile. Like, this is one of his six top points. Smile. Okay, you look so much better when you smile, by the way. Uh, it's amazing what a smile does to people. If you want to know who I look at when I'm preaching, I look for the smilers, right? You scowlers, I kind of oh, look away, um, right? That, that's, that's what we love in life is, is those that smile. What does smiling do? It, it shows someone, I see you. I'm actually glad you're here. And so many people did not grow up in families where they felt like, they were cherished where they were glad they were here. And so what do you do in your workplace when you actually start smiling at people? Give people the ministry of smiles. Second of all, it releases endorphins in you. It's going to make you feel better anyway. So, like, I was pretty down yesterday afternoon, so I got my car and I was like. And I started feeling better. Try it. Number three. Remember a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. A very dramatic way to say people like hearing their names, right, Phil? Oh, he, he looked up and went, <laughs> right? Is that, is that right, JC? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we and, and, and so just let, me, let me make a confession. Names are hard for me. Like, I'm a pastor. I meet thou like thousands of people. It's very hard. And so I, I, but I want to value people with their names, Johnny. And so, gotcha. Um, and, and so here's what I do. I, I write down people's names. I play all kind of name games. Someone says their name, Scott, and I'm like, hi, Scott, Scott. And I'm, in my mind, I'm like, Scott, 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 Scott. I say it a bunch of times, so I encourage you to do that. Okay, but another thing I do is I write down people's names. So I work out at the YMCA, and, and, and so I, I meet a lot of people, and I talk to people. And so what do I do is I, I write down their name when I meet them. So I, if you looked at my phone and my notes, it'll say, like, YMCA friends, and I have a list of people. So it'll say, like, Kurt, ripped 40-year-old dude. <laughs> like, I'll write, because I need to remember. So then, like, two weeks later, when I'm like, dude, that guy's ripped. Oh, that's Kurt. Right? Um, right? Um, but then I go up and say, hey, Kurt. And guess what? It immediately opens the door for friendship because he's like, you valued me enough to know my name. Now, if you walk out and I don't remember your name, the Lord knows your name. Um, Boaz. Uh, no, but here's what we're talking about. We talked about it last week. Here, here are what these, these uh, six, six points are. Um, let me give you the last three. Be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Talk in terms of the other person's interest. Don't just always talk about what's going on with you. Uh, with fishermen, I talk about fishing. Why? Because I care about them. Uh, with, with, with surfers, I talk about 
surfing with, with you know, this person I talk about, instruments. You, you get in their world and they realize, oh, you care about me, right? This, what we're trying to do is prefer others. Uh, make the other, and, and this is why, number six, make the other person feel important and do it sincerely, right? That's what Jesus does, right? That's the, the father, every human is his child, and we are trying to esteem the love of the father on them. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Um, what I notice is Boaz didn't shy away from leaders. So this is another part of loving people is many of us are like, well, I love people, I just hate my boss. Or I love my friends, but my teachers, I, I, I don't like. Some of us have just a natural aversion towards leaders, and a lot of it's because of how we were treated by our, pa- our families or our coaches. Or, but can I just tell you that leaders are just people too. Right? Sometimes we put them in a totally different category. My, my, my granddaddy always used to say, hey, they're just a normal person. They put on their pant legs one at a time, just like you. Right? And what that means is they're not like whoosh, Superman, right? And where you're struggling with your skinny jeans. And, um, they are just another normal person. And, and so I, I told you a couple stories last week uh, or, or two weeks ago of the, 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 the school teacher who's been sharing the gospel with his principal, and now he's discipling him. He was not a believer yet. Why? Because he wasn't afraid. Even though his principal could fire him, he was still like, I am going to love this person. Or, or my friend who actually challenged his sergeant major who was just cursing and using the Lord's name in vain and said, hey, respectfully, sir, you said you were a believer. And, 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 and the guy changed the way he talked. And they started a Bible study together and are reaching people in, in their uh, military world. Leaders are just people too, and they need to be loved, and they need to be approached, and you pray for them and see what happens. And that's one of the things that, that even though I would rather this process just be done with building our building with the light project, and it's got to go through the regional leaders, and then it's got to go all the way to city council, but I'm like, you know what? That gives us a chance to, to show the love of God in all these different realms. And to talk about how God's changing people's lives. And to talk about what a, a loving church does. And so when, when you are brought before your boss, don't go, oh, snap. You know, go, no, this is a great opportunity to, to demonstrate the love of God to someone. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to her relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so, I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and then I'm next in line, I will redeem it. Let me give you some cultural understanding of what was going on. If you remember the story of of Ruth, there was a man named Elimelech. He had a wife named Naomi. It mentioned Naomi here. And they, with their three boys, they moved from Israel in the time of a famine to Moab. Unfortunately, sadly, tragically, Elimelech and his two sons died. And so Naomi's there with her daughter-in-laws. Well, they end up hearing that there's food back in Israel. So they're going back to Israel. And the way they encountered Boaz is they had to go and beg for food. And so Ruth has been in his fields. If you've been following this series, you know that last week Ruth and Boaz fell in love. We said how do you find your boo as, right? And 
And so Ruth found her Boaz, and so, so back in those days, in ancient times, women could not own, or, uh, own property, which was sad, but that's how it was culturally. And so now Naomi's field is having to be sold. And if Boaz buys it, he not only gets a field, he doesn't really care about the field. What he cares about is redeeming Ruth. He's found his Ruth. He's found this woman. He's like, she is beautiful. She is awesome. I want to marry her. And the way I do that in the formal way in, in, in Israel is I buy this property and I, and I marry this girl and I continue on her family line. And so he wants to do that. But here's what I notice about Boaz is he doesn't manipulate. He doesn't control he doesn't force a situation. He trusts in God. So I think a lot of us, if we would have been Boaz and we found our Ruth and we knew we had needed to go through this transaction of owning this property, we would have been like, okay, let's just keep this on the DL. Let's not tell anyone that there's this piece of land for sale and if they get the land, they get Ruth. And let's like, no one needs to know what they don't know won't hurt them. Right, so let's just keep this and, and let's hide it. And Ruth, let's, let's go and just run off in a secret, you know, Jewish, uh, you know, uh, eloping or whatever they call it in, in Jewishness. And, um, and that's not what he does. He's like, I'm going to do the righteous thing. I'm going to go to the city gates in public. Right, men, men and women of God, we need to do things in the light. In our business dealings, we do things in the light. And we do, don't do things by fear, right? He, he, I'm sure he was fearful, like, I finally found my woman. And I could lose her because some joker that, ha, that hasn't spent any time and he hadn't helped her, like, I've been helping her. And all of a sudden, some other joker, because he's the first in line, he could just get her in a moment. But you see, he doesn't act in fear. He acts in faith because he knew that no one can block God's destiny for you. The Bible says that he will fulfill his purpose for you. The only one who can block God's destiny for your life is you. The only way that happens is if you hit the ejection seat. Someone can't steal God's destiny from you. Someone can't steal God's best job from you. Someone can't steal God's best spouse from you. Someone can't steal your future from you. The only person who can steal it is you if you're like, oh, it's too hard or too scary. And you hit the ejection seat. And you launch out of the plane of your life. Right? And so what does he do? He goes and says, I'm going to do this right. In front of everyone, I'm going to say, hey, actually, you're first in line. Can I tell you that God so often doesn't choose the first in line. The Bible says he chooses the foolish things of the world. He doesn't always choose the person with the, the mostest education. I said that on purpose. Um, he, he, he doesn't always choose the richest or the brightest. or the, he, God uses things different. He, he, he does things differently. And so Boaz says, I'm going to do this right. And what happens? You sow righteous actions and you reap righteous relationships. Why in the world would you act righteous in your workplace? Like you're going into your workplace and you're seeing people cheat, Right? And you're seeing people cut corners, right? And you're seeing people skim off the top, right? And students, you're looking at the person next to you, and you're going, I'm competing with them to have a higher GPA, and yet they're cheating. Why should you not cheat? 
And you're seeing people do relationships, and they're, they're not following biblical principles. They're just jumping and following their carnal desires. Why shouldn't I just do that? And why shouldn't I just bend the truth just a little so I can get the promotion? Because I know the guy that's competing with me is definitely not playing a clean game. He's definitely not telling the truth. Why should you be righteous? Because the Bible is clear. A man or woman will reap what he sows. And you you sow in righteous actions and you reap a Ruth. Okay, and who is Ruth? Ruth is the kind of friend who looked at Naomi when things were bad and says, where you go, I will go. She said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And let nothing tear us apart. And the whole world in this day and age is looking for a friend like that. And how do you get one? By sowing in righteous. Sowing in righteousness. You sow in righteous actions and you reap a Ruth. Everyone wants that kind of relationship. The key is you honor God, he honors you with those kind of relationships. Then Boaz said to this guy, Right, that he's having to do this deal with. He says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the garden redeemer said, whoa, 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 then I can't redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. See, this is such a, a juxtaposition, such a comparison and contrast between someone who was in it for themselves and who is willing to lay down their life to protect and serve another. This guy had no idea who he was going to lose out on. He just saw her as a poor, widowed Moabite. He had no idea she was the grandmother of the greatest king in Israel's history, that she would be the grandmother of King David and the great, 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 grandmother of Jesus. Boy, did he miss out because he was trying to preserve his own estate. You lay down your life to serve others, to protect others, even when they look like they have nothing to give you, and you get Jesus in return. You get Jesus decides to come through your life and your family's life. That's why it's worth it, men and women of God. Now, in earlier times in Israel, this is verse 7, for the redemption of the transfer of property to become final, one party took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed a sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you're the witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malhan. And I also acquired Ruth the Moabite. Malon's wife as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not despair from among, disappear from among his family or his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. You sow in righteousness in the marketplace. You reap righteous relationships. This, um, let me end with this story. I've been so encouraged by this story of Elijah, because I think it so fits us in the day and age we're living in America, so fits how many of us feel living in California, because Elijah, um, he was having a bad day at work, 
okay? So uh, prophet work was not going well for him this day uh, because he, he has just poured out his heart at his work, which was um, uh, doing a big showdown with a bunch of prophets of Baal and uh, seeing who would have fire fall down from heaven, kind of like our work last week, right? And, um, and, and he, he wins, and he, God shows up for him. And guess what happens after he has a big win at work? His boss decides to kill him. Okay? Anybody have a week like that? Must be. Uh, you know, you finally get a win. You're like, I stood for righteousness. And what happens? Everyone doesn't go, oh, good job. Right? They go, we're going to kill you. We hate you. And so that's, um, you think you have a bad job? Uh, try Ahab and Jezebel. Um, they, they wanted to kill, they, they were saying, we're going to kill you, Elijah. And so what does Elijah say after he's had this big spiritual victory? He goes, I'm done, Lord. I'm finished. Just kill me. Right? Uh, can I just tell you, I think that's probably how a lot of us felt these last three years. Like, I'm done. I'd rather be dead. Heaven, a lot better place than planet Earth right now. Just take me out of here, Lord. And so Elijah's like, I am done. Have you ever come to that place? In, in your work, where you're like, I'm done. I am, I am done. And so what does he do? He goes off in the wilderness for 40 days. And at his lowest point, God speaks to him. This is 19, verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Can I tell you, God loves to meet us in our lowest place. The, the majority of times, we got to remember this, the majority of times the greatest inspiration comes in our lowest desperation. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And the earthquake, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Oh, I love that. I love that God wants to speak gently to you that are suffering today. You're in your job and you're like, I am suffering. I am in pain. I am frustrated. I want to quit. And God comes gently. You're, you're so upset in your marriage, you can't make it anymore in your parenting, and God just wants to come and whisper gently. But have you ever noticed what he whispered? Like, I had never noticed that until this week. I've heard this story, I've heard sermons on this story, but I've never noticed what he whispered. Listen to this. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, this is, this is so us. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, everyone else, has rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword, and I am the only one left. I'm the only one left on this used car lot. I'm the only one left in my school. I'm the only one left in my business. I'm the only one left in my hospital. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I've felt that way before. Like, I am the only one left, Lord. And now they're trying to kill me too. Look at what the Lord says. The Lord says to him, go back the way you came. Then go back. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus and watch this. When you get there, anoint Hazael 
king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. So he's like, you're going to anoint this dude up here in the north. You're going to anoint this dude down here in the south and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. You're going to anoint someone who does the same thing you do. Now watch what he says. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, hey, go back to your workplace, and God's going to raise up people, and they're going to take out your boss. Um, Take out all the bad people. No, what, what this is saying is, hey, I am raising up people with a fighting spirit. You're not all alone, Elijah. Like, this is the gentle whisper. He's like, Elijah, it's not just you. Like, I, if you keep living for me, you go back. You go back and get the fight because that's where I put you. But I'm going to raise up. I'm going to raise up this guy on the side. I'm going to raise up this guy on the side. I'm going to raise up this person behind you so you're not fighting alone. You go back to your hospital this week. You that work in hospitals, you go back to your schools this week. You who feel beat up and torn down. You go back to the streets that you clean this week. You go back to the children you take care of this week. You go back to your office building downtown. You go back to the fleet that you drive in. You go back to your job and God is saying that you keep sowing in righteousness. You're not all alone because I'm actually, I'm always raising up friends who will fight alongside of you. I'm always Raising them up. And then he says, plus, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word for California. God's saying, no, there's more people than you think. There's more people who are taking a stand. There's more people who say, I'm here and I'm believing for the state to be transformed. More revivals have happened in Southern California than any place on earth. He wants to do it again, but he's saying, who will stand? Who will stand in your school? Who will stand in your neighborhood? Who will stand in your office building? Who will stand? Because he says, actually, there's more people than you think. And when they see you, they come and they're encouraged. And they can stand and they can join, but they need to see you, Elijah. And they're just waiting for you to call them out. You might feel alone, and actually that's good because then you start realizing who's around, who can I invest in, who can I call up, who can I link arms with, who can I ask to pray with me at lunch, who can I, who can I start sharing prayer requests with, who can I pray for, who can I sit with at lunch, and we get our team, and we get our, our kingdom relationships at work, and then we start believing together, and whatever two or more agree on in prayer, God says, I'm listening, and I'm going to start working. And maybe your loneliness this week is going to be the thing that drives you to find partners, that, find, that makes you start getting so upset with how everything was going in your workplace that makes you start crying out. And it makes you start crying out for your school. It makes you start crying out with other people. And God says, when I hear those prayers, I come in. And, and, and when you start acting and working and living for me, that's when my spirit comes. Let me stand up. If you um, are going back to work tomorrow, put your hand on your heart. I want to pray for you. 
Lord, I, I want to pray for my friends that are going into their workplaces tomorrow. Lord, the world is not easy. But God, you're the same strength that raised Jesus from the dead. You say that when we give our life to Jesus, it's by your spirit that you come in and live in us. So I pray, strengthen my friends. Lord, strengthen the ones that are being opposed by their bosses right now. Strengthen the ones that are being persecuted by coworkers right now. Strengthen the ones that are being tempted right now. The ones that are being tempted to cheat. It would just be easier to cheat. Strengthen them. Lord, strengthen the ones that know they're supposed to start speaking up. To give them boldness. Lord, I'm asking in Jesus' name. Can I just have some leaders come forward real quick? We want to pray for you. If you the ones that are just saying, man, I need strength to go back to my workplace. It has been hard. My, my center has been hard. My team has been hard. My school has been hard. My, my office building has been hard. My, my hospital has been hard. We want to pray for you. You just come now. Let us lay hands on you and let's pray for God to strengthen you. Let's pray that God would give an encouraging word as we sing this last song together. We sing Jesus, Jesus. Make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus. darkness trembled, Jesus, Jesus, your name, you silence fear, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we now have a new flame that has been lit in our hearts, God, about our workplaces, about our various spheres of influence, Lord. And God, we just thank you for encouraging and empowering your people today, Lord, to start tomorrow, God, and make it all about you, regardless of where we are and what situations that we're in. So, Lord, thank you that on your name we can call and everything is right and everything shifts according to your plan. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, before you guys go, I want to remind you that Saturday is Freedom Day. If you have not been to Freedom Day, or even if you have, listen, it is a great opportunity to come and get refreshed in the Lord and experience freedom in your life Saturday. I also want to um, let you know that after this service, um, life group and growth group leaders, small group leaders, um, there's an equipping just for you, and there's also lunch, so please don't leave. Um, we want to make sure um, our leaders are there. And then lastly, next weekend, we have a clothing drive for gently used clothing. Please think of others, be generous, and bring those items to the church. Have a great rest of your week. Happy Sunday, everyone.